Wow. Thank you very much, everybody. Really is uh, great to be with you. I hope you're all really well. Hope it's not too late to say a happy new year. Um, last time I was with you was uh, just before uh, Christmas. You might remember saying we were looking forward to Christmas very much. Uh, not just because we always look forward to Christmas, but because it was our first Christmas with our new uh, baby boy, Arlo. So we were looking forward to introducing him to um, uh, Christmas. And indeed, it was a wonderful uh, time, the first normal Christmas for a little while as well. So great to have three little boys full of Christmas fun, Christmas food, and visits to and from uh, family. It really was good for the heart. Uh, on the other hand, having uh, three little boys full of Christmas fun and Christmas food I'm not sure it was that good for our minds. Um, I did find that I, I began the season with an open mind. Then I was praying for strength of mind, then peace of mind. And then we got the older two back to school just as we were losing our minds. Um, but it does mean that actually this sermon series, Your Mind Matters, uh, has come very much at a, a providential time for us. But I think for all of us, really. Might be that you're in that situation that Josh Gardner talked about a couple of weeks ago in his great opener to the uh, sermon series. Uh, one of those people that finds January a very uh, bleak time. It always makes me think of C.S. Lewis in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The description of the curse of Narnia, it's so brilliant in just one sentence, that it's always winter but never Christmas. But it also makes me think, well, that's January, isn't it? <laughs> um, or it may be that actually you're raring to go at the beginning of this good year. Well, what, beginning of this year, well, what better time then to get your thoughts, your mind, your thought life in line with the thoughts of the Lord? And today we've got a new subject to consider that's going to help or continue to help us uh, to do that. And I want to introduce it by telling you about uh, a book I read just a, a couple of years ago. This was a, a book about um, five men who between the 1930s and the 1950s in this country used a particular weapon against this country to do the country a great deal of uh, damage. It was a weapon which led to the deaths of many British and Western um, soldiers, many British and Western agents and also that did an incredible amount of damage and humiliation to the country on a political and diplomatic level. What was this weapon? Was it grenade launchers, chemical weapons, guns, tanks? Well, none of the above, actually. It was far more simple and far more sinister than that. It was deception. It was lies. I'm talking about the Cambridge Five. Uh, these, uh, it was a spy ring of five young men who started their lives at, at uh, Cambridge University. And then after they graduated, or during their graduation, I think I see, and, and beyond, for decades, they were supposed to be working for this country, but were actually working against the country, passing lies onto the enemy and doing an incredible amount of damage. Let me quickly say, because we are here in Peterborough and Cambridge isn't far away, and of course we have Kingsgate Cambridge, that there are graduates from... Kingsgate Cambridge, uh, from Cambridge University uh, among us. Just want to say this was a long time ago. Okay, so if you have people in your life group from Cambridge University, please don't worry. Just be careful what you say around them. That's, <laughs> all right. That's a joke, just in case anyone wants to uh, email in. But nevertheless, as long as the country believed the lies of these young men, their lies were doing an incredible amount of damage. And you know what the weapon it was to counter that that we used? What was that finally did for the Cambridge spies? Well, again, it wasn't tanks, wasn't guns, wasn't knives, wasn't even conviction and imprisonment. You know what it was? It was the truth. As soon as the truth came out and their lies were exposed, their lies ceased to have any power and ceased to do any damage to us. 
Truth and lies are incredibly potent weapons when it comes to warfare. Now, you might be thinking, well, fair enough, Tom, but what's that got to do with us? We don't have an enemy. We're not at war. My answer to that is, yes, we do, and yes, we are. Uh, it may not be a military enemy in the same way as it was for uh, the 1930s to throughout the 40s, but we do indeed have an enemy and we are at war. Ephesians 6.12, the Apostle Paul tells us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it's not a question of whether we're at war or not, simply a question of whether we will fight and whether we will win. And just as truth and lies are potent weapons in military warfare, all the more are they potent weapons when it comes to spiritual warfare. After all, our enemy, Satan, uh, he's actually described by Jesus as the father of lies. This is one of his main weapons against us. And as long as we believe his lies, we're in bondage to his lies. And I'm getting moved because I'm just thinking about some of the lies I've believed and some of the lies I know people around me have believed that, that actually ruin our lives, that to one degree or another, you, some of you are believing, probably all of us to one degree, it's a bold claim, but I think I can stand by that, that we are believing lies of the enemy that are doing damage to us. And do you know the weapon we're going to use against that? It's the truth. And my goal today is not just to preach that we might know a bunch of stuff, but actually to preach the truth, that in the light of that truth will expose those lies and that the enemy won't be able to do Damage, And some of you have been living in the ill of those lies for years. And I pray today the truth of God will come on you. And as Jesus told us, that you will know the truth and that the truth will set you free. So I've got three things that we're going to ask the Lord to help us with today. To help us that we might start living in the good of God's lies and might, uh, God's truth and might move from the enemy's lies. And the first thing we're going to ask the Lord to do for us is to help us to reveal the lies of the enemy. Do you know one of the reasons that the Cambridge spies were so successful in what they were doing? One of the reasons that for decades, some of them, people like Kim Philby you may have heard of, uh, another one, Anthony Blunt, fans of The Crown. You will have seen him in the latest series, actually. He was an art director guy. Anyway, if you don't know that, just ignore it. But anyway, one of the reasons they were able to go undetected for so long was actually good old-fashioned British snobbery. Um, MI6, the people, that, the secret intelligence service that really should have been catching them, was in those days a kind of old boys network. It was largely made up of upper middle class and sometimes upper class men. And there was just this kind of idea that there's no way that, you know, guys from Cambridge University could possibly be uh, double agents working for the enemy. I mean, you can't, can you? You can't go accusing a chap of <laughs> betraying his country. It's just not cricket. And so for many years, they actually just went undetected, even when the evidence was there and was quite strong against them. There was just this kind of idea, but it just couldn't possibly be true, not with, the, not with our type, not with the people in our club. And so what actually happened was the people working with them had an enemy that was there and present, and they didn't know who that enemy was, and they didn't know what that enemy was doing, and so they were working into the hands of that enemy, believing the lies and the enemy doing damage. Can I say that I believe, in the Western church at least, where we imbibe the belief of the world around us, the belief in Satan and in demons and things like that is a kind of medieval type superstition and we should do it. Even though we're Christians and we know it shouldn't be like that, I think we still imbibe that culture and I think we live our lives a lot like that. We actually go around with an enemy completely unaware that he's there and completely unaware of the way that he is working against us and we're working right into his hands. 
If we're going to reveal the lies of the enemy, we need to know that he's there and we need to know the way he works. And the Lord Jesus Christ helps us do that in John chapter 8 as he identifies him and says how he works. He says this, he's talking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And we know John chapter 10, 10 as well, or we may do. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Again, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the enemy. He's a murderer who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his end. But his means, he lies. He deceives. That's what he's all about. That's his native language. What a wonderful description that is. And he's the father of lies. Any lie that you've ever believed, in some sense, he's the source of it just as God is the source of all truth and all good things. It's how he's been right since the very beginning. In fact, on the opening pages, if you're doing a Bible in a year, you've probably already read this bit by now. The very first thing we see when we see Satan in the Scriptures, we see Satan speaking through the mouth of the serpent in the garden. The very first human beings, Adam and Eve, they are tempted, that is, they are deceived by the serpent's words in the garden. God has graciously built this world for them, built the Garden of Eden. It's absolutely plentiful. They can do anything they want. There is one small restriction on there. And what do we find? We find Satan comes and he exploits that. He deceives Eve. He comes and he says, is that really what God said? Did God say you'd die if you, you go say, you, you won't die? What's he doing? God has spoken the truth and the serpent comes against him and speaks a lie. And what happens? Eve believes the lie. She becomes in bondage to the lie and the lie does its damage. That's where the fall of humankind comes from. Spiritual death came from that disobedience and it all came because Eve believed that lie. And I believe as Adam and Eve are the start of the human race, if you like, we've often been following that example in our lives. The enemy lies to us, we believe the lie, and as a result, that lie does all sorts of damage in our lives. And like I said before, I think there are some of you who's been believing these lies, in some cases, for many, many years. Lies such as, I am unlovable, or Jesus Christ died on the cross for you because he loves you so much. Lies like, how can my heavenly father love me when my earthly father walked out with us? Well, your heavenly father loves you so much he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. Lies like, I can never live a fulfilled life if I remain single. You know who else lived a fulfilled life and remained single? Jesus. And you know what? I don't know how to put this. He's Jesus. <laughs> the most fulfilled life there ever was. Or perhaps their lies not about us, but, but lies that are actually sort of tempting us to sin. You know, things like perhaps I'd be happier if I was with that person at, at work who has to be nice to me, who has no other burdens in their life at the moment, we don't share all the difficult things with and so on, but perhaps I'd be happier with them than I would be in my marriage. These are lies, and yet when we believe them, they can start doing destru destructive things. Now, they sound really obvious when I put it like that, but actually what can happen with these lies is they can become so pernicious, so deep down in our life, we don't even notice they're there really. They become what psychologists call core beliefs. Now, some of you will know I'm married to a psychologist. What you perhaps don't know is that if you are married to a psychologist, you actually are a psychologist. I don't know if you know that. That's not true. Again, please don't email, but that is what I tell my wife for it. But, but I've checked this out with Becky. A core belief is what psychologists talk about. When you have a belief that's so deep down that you never actually even question it anymore. 
It's beliefs that you have about yourself, about other people, about the way the world works, or about the world. And actually, it becomes so deep down, you never question it. It kind of becomes a filter for the way you see things. So if you do believe that lie that you're unlovable, when somebody says that they love you, because you're seeing that claim through that filter, you're thinking, well, there must be something wrong with that person, which isn't healthy. Or it could be that that person's got an ulterior motive. They're trying to get something else. You see how pernicious that is, how dangerous, how insidious that is. Or it could be that because your, um, uh, your parents' marriage broke up, that, that means you think that maybe your marriage is going to break up. So every comment that comes from your spouse, everything they say, everything they do, you're suspicious about it, you're on tenter, you're just waiting for it to end. That's a lie, and that lie is doing damage. You're reading it through that filter. But you barely even know because you've embraced the lie so long, it's so deep down, it's become a core belief. I believe God created our minds. I believe they work the way they do because he created them. And I believe if they go wrong, if things like that are happening, he's the only way they can be made right again. I believe if that lie has gone deep down, the only way it's going to get out of there is by God's truth being shined onto it. And just as we have the enemy, the father of lies, put the lie there, the only way the truth is going to root that out is if we ask God to reveal that as a lie. And we're going to do that at the end of this. So if anything is coming to mind, it might be the Holy Spirit working on you right now, bringing things up to tell you that's a lie that you've believed for many years. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Can I give you a personal example of this? About 10 to 15 years ago, sometime around there, if you'd have asked me what bothers you most in life, what would you like taken out of your life? I'd have said anxiety. I'd have said worry. Particularly when it came to work, it seemed to get to me a lot of time. But sometimes it was just something that was just there, even though there was nothing to worry about. And I remember one time, I wasn't, you know, consciously trying to go through a process like this or anything like that. But I was praying and I was saying to the Lord, why do I worry so much? Why am I always like this with things? And almost immediately, a memory came into my head. Um, And it was of me as a little boy, probably about eight years old. The memory's pretty clear in terms of the feelings, but the details are a bit hazy, you know, how memories can work like that. But I woke up in the middle of the night and I suddenly realised, shock, horror, I'd forgotten something that I was meant to prepare for school the next day. And there was no way I was going to be able to prepare, I can't remember what it was, you know, food for home ec type stuff or, you know, costume for drama or something. There was no way I was going to be able to get it done. So I was going to get told off by the teacher, which in my eight-year-old life was a, you know, a terrifying prospect. And so what I decided I'd do is I would worry about it. And I actually worried myself to sleep. If you've ever done that, you'll know it's one of the least effective ways of getting a good night's sleep. But when I eventually did get to sleep, and I woke up in the morning and I began to worry all over again. And I worried all my way to school. And then when the lesson started, I thought, I can't take this anymore. I'm just going to be quick and painful. Get it out of the way. So I went to the teacher and told her what I'd done, this dastardly crime of forgetting something. And she just said, oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. And all of a sudden, I just, you know, the relief washed over me, and I can feel that relief now. You say, well, that doesn't sound too bad, Tom. But the truth was, I embraced a lie at that particular point, and it was this. Ah, worry really works. Because I worried about that, that worry had almost like an agency, a power of its own. And because I worried, it meant that actually a good thing happened. You say, well, that sounds a bit stupid and a bit irrational. A lot of these uh, lies are. But do you think that lie came from God? And it started deep down to be something that I believe, even when I got older and I could see just how terrible that is, I still realized at this point when I was praying, the Holy Spirit was revealing to me that I'd believed that and deep down it was part of me. And there's more to be done, as we'll see in point two and point three. But I just want to say at this point, that's the first step is revealing that lie of the enemy, getting the holy truth, the Holy Spirit of truth.
to actually reveal that is a lie. And once it's been reviled, then revealed, then we can do something about it. And then we can be free. So that's the first thing. And we're going to do that at the end. We're going to pray to the Lord that he will reveal the lies of the enemy. But that's not the whole thing. It's not just enough just to know about the lies of the enemy. We want to actually do something about it as well. So the second thing is this, to replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. Lucky for us, we don't just have Adam and Eve's example to follow when it comes to dealing with the enemy's deception. We also have the example of Jesus Christ. It says in Luke 4, verse 1 and 2, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And I think we're meant to see this example as a bit of a sort of counterexample to what happened with Adam and Eve. I mean, thinking about it, at the beginning of the Old Testament, we see the original heads of the human race, Adam and Eve, deceived by the enemy. They believed that um, deception, even in the plenty of the garden. And as a result, we have the fall of mankind. And then what we have in contrast to that, we have Jesus Christ, the head of the new human race. He is tempted in the lack of the wilderness. He overcomes that deception, which is on his way to leading to the salvation of many. And so what we want to do is, Turn away from Adam and Eve's example and embrace Jesus' example. How does Jesus deal with the enemy's deception? Well, the enemy comes at him three times, tempting him by deceiving him. And three times, what does Jesus do? He doesn't just resist the lie. He replaces the lie with the truth. He speaks out the scriptures back at the enemy. My favorite one, if that's not a weird thing to have a favorite for, but is the third temptation. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So you see what the Satan is doing here. He's not just lying, he's using the scriptures to lie. Now that's a, a scary thing when you think about it. But what he's doing is he's taking a scripture, that's from the Psalms, that you will not be harmed, the angels will look after you. But he's quoting the scripture out of context. What that scripture is actually saying is that generally speaking, God is there for you, he will look after you. What it's not saying is, do stupid things, because God's party trick will be to save you at the last minute. And Jesus knows this. He knows this is a lie. But not just resisting the lie or refusing to believe it, he responds with the truth. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And we need to do the same things, not just know it's a lie, but counteract that lie by replacing it with the truth. And actually, I think speaking it out, we need to know the scriptures in context and well, and perhaps memorize them like Jesus would have done because he was a rabbi, to actually be able to speak that truth out, to replace the enemy's lies with the truth. It wasn't enough for me just to know that I'd come to this conclusion that worry was a good thing. I needed to replace it with the truth. And I started to memorize scriptures about not worrying about anxiety. Scriptures like, do not be anxious about anything from Philippians 4. Or 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So here's the lie. If you've got a problem, you need to worry about it and worry about it and worry about it and worry about it and that'll solve the problem. Here's the truth. If you've got a problem, you need to take all the worries about that problem, hand it over to Jesus because he cares for you, and he will solve your problem. <clears throat> and again, at the end, we're going to pray, and I'll pray that not only will those lies be revealed, but the Holy Spirit of truth will come and will give you scriptures, will give you God's word, will lead you into the right place that you might be able to replace those lies with the truth. 
But again, it's not enough just to know that it's a lie, and it's not enough actually just to replace the lie with the truth every now and again. What we actually need to do is commit to renewing our mind on an ongoing basis. That's number three. Renew your mind on an ongoing basis. Part of the reason we bought our house, part of the reason we love our house, was because of the garden. Uh, It's a a nice long garden. It's got conifer trees running down the sides and across the back, and then there's a little archway kind of gap made by the conifer trees at the bottom of the garden. And when you go through there, there is a little plot of land. Emphasis on the little, in case it sounds like I'm... Um, describing Downton Abbey or something here, okay? (laughs) Things aren't going that well, okay? But when you go through this little archway, we love this little plot. It's about big enough to maybe get a shed in there. It's one of our ambitions. Or uh, my wife, Becky, would love a, uh, a veg patch down there. But if you go through that little arch and look now, All you'll see is weeds, okay? Uh, Namely nettles, and they're up up to about chest height at the moment. Now, a couple of years ago, I actually uh, took a day's uh, annually, it was a great fun day, uh, dressed from head to toe, made sure I was completely covered, and I went around pulling out all of those nettles and did a pretty good job, actually. It was nice and clear. A year before that, my father-in-law did exactly the same thing in about a quarter of the time. Very annoying, but anyway. Never marry a a woman who has a real man for a father, that's what I say anyway. (laughs) But if you go there now, (laughs) some people agree with that. Um, If you go there now, again, the weeds are back. And actually what you find is those ambitions for uh, a veg patch or for uh, a man, I mean a shed, okay, those ambitions look a long way off. Why? Because you can't get away with just tending to the weeds every now and again. It's not enough to do that. Actually, what you have to do is you have to commit to tending to the garden on an ongoing basis. Otherwise, what will happen? Well, we live in a world where if you don't tend to it, the weeds will grow. And the next time, you're going to have to do a a full day or quarter day, depending on who you are. Anyway, (laughs) we need to be exactly the same when it comes to tending to the weeds of the lies of the devil. It isn't enough just every now and again to deal with the lies as they come up. Actually, what we need to do is we need to tend to the garden of our minds day in, day out. Otherwise, because we live in a sinful world, a fallen world, just the way the world is, the weeds of the enemy's lies will just come back. That's just how it is. That's the pattern of this world. We need to be committed to gardening, if you like, day in, day out, tending to our minds. Otherwise, we might have an enjoyable experience every now and again when we go to ministry and we get rid of those lies, but they will come back. What we want to do is be renewing our minds on an ongoing basis. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And notice this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you've got the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and then you've got God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. If you believe the lies of the enemy, you will end up with a filter that always is is reading in the way of somebody who wants to kill you. Whereas if you renew your mind, you'll be renewing your filter and you'll start to be able to see God's truth nice and easily. When those lies come in, you can rebuke them straight away. So we need to reveal the lies of the enemy. We need to replace those with the truth, but we need to renew our minds on an ongoing basis. And how do we do that? Do you know, a little while ago, I realized there was a point of application, maybe it's just because I'm boring, but I hope it's not, that came in every single sermon I've ever preached, and it's this. Read your Bible, (laughs) pray, spend time with Christians, keep going to church, spend time with God. What Kevin DeYoung called uh, extraordinary sanctification through ordinary means. 
But perhaps that can be a motivation for you if you're already behind, which I am, on your Bible reading, even though it's January or whatever. If you're doing that, it's not just that you've got to get something amazing every day, like an angel grabbing you out of bed and leading you to the scriptures, and it's just for a meeting you have that day. What you're doing is you're renewing your mind, you're tending to your garden, you're engaging in spiritual warfare, and you're going to accept his truth over the enemy's lies, and you are going to live in freedom. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for everybody here that you will open our hearts, that you will open our minds and that we will be able to see your truth and separate it from the enemy's lies. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Now I'd love to ask for us to respond. If you wouldn't mind just standing to your feet so we can do that, that'd be wonderful. If you're watching online as well, you might want to stand in your uh, living rooms. In a moment, what I want to do is, as promised before, I want to lead you in, if you like, a short period of ministry. Nothing scary, nothing spooky. All we're going to do is we're going to ask the Holy Spirit of truth who loves us to reveal the lies so that we can replace them with the truth and we're going to pray for a commitment to renew our minds on an ongoing basis. But before we do, it may be that you've never actually responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, to the gospel. It may be that you've never become a Christian you've never responded to the truth. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says this, the God of this age, that's actually referring to the devil because the, the earth has uh, become a fallen world and so in some sense the devil is in charge, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The lie which is more pernicious and more dangerous than all is the lie that actually blinds you from the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't let him deceive you. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit of truth will take off those blinkers so that if you have never responded, you'll see the true glorious nature of Jesus Christ who loved you, who gave himself for you, of a father who loves you, he gave his only son for you, and a Holy Spirit that wants to come and have fellowship with you. So if that's you, if you've never responded to the good news, I'd love to pray for you right now, just so I know who I'm praying for. If you wouldn't mind just popping up your hand if you're here in the auditorium, you can even do that at home, just so uh, you'll know. So if there's anybody here, if you've never responded to the good news of Jesus, if you can pop up your hands so I know who I'm praying for, if you're doing that home, if you can respond, I'm going to lead you in. No, I'm going to pray for you. So if you're praying at home, you can um, accept this as well. Heavenly Father, I pray for those people. Spiritual truth right now. Take off that lie of the enemy. Take off that lie that says there's no good news in Jesus. Take off that lie that says you're not real or you don't love them or they've done something to disqualify themselves. And Lord, I pray right now that by repentance and faith, they can come to know you and come to step in your good ways and in your truth in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you're responding to that either at home or if you're here in the auditorium, there'll be um, steps either on the screens online or here in the auditorium, there'll be steps at the end, a few instructions to help you make the next steps. But for all of us now, I'd love us to respond and think about what we've been thinking about, to actually put into action what I've been talking about here. And so I'd love for all of you, if you're comfortable with this, to close your eyes and place your hand on your heart just as an action to say, I'm responding to this, I mean this, I'm submitted to this with my mind, my soul, my body, my heart. And what I want to pray right now is that the Holy Spirit of truth 
will reveal anything that we've believed about ourselves, about others, about the world that actually comes from the enemy and is not of the Lord. Anything that's been damaging us, that's been hurting us. And remember, we're not doing this to go over old ground, to make us feel pain or anything like that. This is simply like a doctor's diagnosis. So we can bring it up that we might heal it. And we're going to do this supernaturally, so it'll be quick. So Holy Spirit of God, I pray right now that you will reveal anything to the people here, to the people watching online that has been keeping us in bondage, that is a lie of the enemy. Perhaps it is something that's so deep down we haven't known about it. We thought it was something to do with our personality, but it's a lie. And Lord, we expose that lie right now and we bring it out into the truth, into the, uh, the light of the truth. And Lord, we pray more than that. We don't just resist that lie. We don't just want it revealed. Lord, will you put scriptures into our hearts? Will you lead us to scriptures this afternoon, later in this week, that we might be able to counteract that lie? Scriptures that we might memorize and speak out when that lie tries to get its way back in. And Lord, I pray that there will be freedom that comes as a result of that palpable, tangible freedom that we will feel. And thirdly, Lord, will you help us to read your word, to spend time with Christians, to enjoy that, to enjoy life group, to enjoy fellowship, to enjoy time at church, to enjoy time with you, that we might renew our minds, that we might renew our minds in your word. Lord, I pray for people here who've never got into the Bible, that you will help them to get into it, give them the right resources, that we might tend to the garden on an ongoing basis, that we might not even need to deal with the weeds because we're dealing with it day in, day out, Lord. Help us to have good and healthy minds that the devil might run and that we might live in freedom. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's been great to be back with you, folks. Let's sing now to the Lord and to his freedom.